Oh, I there's I'm sorry, there's a person underneath me in the recording. Can we hold for person? Hi, Quinn. Thank you for the breakfast burrito. Hello, Carrie. Um, um, I actually do want to tell you a crazy story that happened last night. Oh, my God. I want to tell you a crazy story that happened last night. I really? can't believe we both had we both crazy, have crazy stories. Nights. Okay. Arguably, this was stupid. So, buyer beware, cautioner to the tale. I was, um, I went to a work party last night, which was so fun. I love going to work parties. I did fuck up at work recently, so I had to apologize to a bunch of people. And they were like, why are you apologizing? Stop. But I like to apologize. I find it to be good to own one's mistakes. Oh, everybody needs a hobby. And (laughs) so, of course, I had way too many drinks and ate a lot of free pizza and salad from Fornino's at Brooklyn Bridge Park. It was so great. Oh my gosh, that's really fun. That's right next to one of my favorite playgrounds. Oh, the Swing Valley and Mountain and Swing. Wait, I'm sorry, Swing Valley and Slide Mountain. Slide Mountain. Yes, they're the correct. best. They're the so best. cool. They're beautifully and they're designed, like, they're and they've incredible. got a really nice little water area. And there's a ferry. Um, I said that like a New Yorker does a ferry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm still not used to my teeth. I got new teeth yesterday too. Um, but the so I was riding my bike home. I had some leftover meatballs in my bag. You know. They were giving out food. There was too much. So I took some. Mm -hmm. And I um, was riding home and I stop at an intersection at Union and Hicks, which is... Totally um, no. You do? Okay. Union and Hicks. I look down and there's a fucking telephone. There's an iPhone face down on the street. Someone dropped their phone. Someone dropped their phone. And it was in the middle of the street. You got to pick that up. So I picked it up. And I was like... Is this anyone's fault? Like, I did a scream, as you as you do, as you're supposed to do, uh-huh. based on the rules. And then I um, I biked the 20 minutes home. And I was like, I'm going to take this because I know me. I will give it back to someone. And then, of course, while I'm riding my bike, I'm like, what did I do? What if this per like, how am I going to get this person? I get home. You can't unlock the phone. Like, how am I going to access whose fucking phone this is? You know what they? I'll tell you what you need because I've lost. I mean, it. there's you more to the story, but yeah, to do the thing where they get online and they can post a thing on their own phone. That's like, dear readers, if you've listened to us, you know that Quinn has gone through this. And yeah. actually, truly, while this was happening, I was really thinking about you, and I was like, do I you charge a hundred dollars? Do I do I try to profit off? This do I try to profit off the person? Pain. And the answer is, is like you want to, but don't do it. It's just not ghost. You know what I mean? Like, just return the phone. Be a good Samaritan. So Ben and this guy, I, I get think a you call. Mean not gauche, and it is gauche. It is gauche. It's, gauche it's not and kosher. It's not kosher. Thank you. That's exactly what I meant, and I appreciate the correction because. And I will say, I'm sorry. Don't um, be gauche. Be kosher. <laughs> don't be gauche. Be kosher. Uh, <laughs> you want it to be kosher. It's not kosher. Anyway. Moral of the story is, is I'm at home, I like look at his emergent medical ID, and there's an emergency number, which by the way, hot tip, everyone put in in case of emergency number in your medical ID in your phone if you have an iPhone. I call this guy, this guy doesn't, calls me back and is like, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> so it didn't work really well. And then it was listed as his daughter, and it was like a meat supplier, weird. And then I get a call from the guy who owns a phone, and he's like, you have my phone? I was like, yeah. 
I told him the intersection I would be at, which was near my house, because I was like, oh, I'm not going to give this guy my address. Nope. That's so bad. And then he goes, but I don't have a phone to call you. When I get there. When I get there. So I gave him my address. Dear readers, I know. I know. This feels really sketchy. And I was like, I texted some friends, and I was like, I got this guy's phone. He called me back and was like, here's my passcode. Can you reach out to this guy who has a pager? <laughs> Turns out it was a weed dealer. But he's like, I don't want to leave this guy hanging. He's going to call, like, you're going to call this number, and he's going to call back. And I was, like, calling, like, I was, like, being his assistant. <laughs> you were like, wait. I was like, yeah, happy you, to help. Not like, only did you not charge him $100, but then you did $100 worth of hourly work. Yeah, for sure. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And he was coming, so he kept, like, calling, whatever. Turns out he did have a phone. He could have met me at the intersection. And then, of course, he gave me the passcode to his phone. So, like, listen, I feel like I wasn't getting anything out of the deal. Oh, on the phone, he said, listen, I'm a chef, so whatever happens, I owe you dinner. Right. And you don't know if he's a handsome chef. Yes, I was so excited. Um, Spoiler alert, he was not a handsome chef. But (laughs) what happened was is he works at this place, and I don't know if we should say the name, but he works at we're going to go. And so I, he, yes, 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 yes. The, um, the crazy thing of like, I find this guy's phone. He is a chef at a nice restaurant who said he would like make, get a meal, which I think we'd get hooked up. He's the executive chef at Cachino's. Yeah. yeah. I think he was not attractive. Up. He got my number. He's like, just come any weekday night or Sunday. I don't know. I mean, I don't know when he's working, but I don't know how to do this. It'd be so awkward if we go and we're like, we're these, and they're like, he's not here. I need to look up his name to too. I think his name was spend money on dinner. I think his name was like Aaron or Beth. She's like, you have my number, and I was like, I don't have your number. Oh my god, I love that this is your story. So I literally like, so maybe I won't get. I like don't know how I'm gonna get a hold of this guy, but I think if I'm just like, hey, I found your phone. He didn't text me. I was like, here's my number. So he has my number. I don't have his, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? This is perfect. More of the story is we might get a really fun meal at a fancy Italian restaurant in Dumbo, like on Water Street, like yes, overlooking. Yes, 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 yes. You know exactly the restaurant. It's Literally, the one in Dumbo. Is it the one with like the couches? I think so. Water? If it is, I just talked about this restaurant last night no. to Jamila. I just told her I wanted to eat here and <gasps> I said to her, I know nothing about it. I want to eat there based on the location. <laughs> And I'm, well, I think, wait, wait, not stop. only that, That's but so my insane. crazy story I was going to tell you is all about a chef. Shut from my the last fuck night. From last night. That like, is are so, we? we're so in sync. It's Next thing so, you know, our period's going to happen at the same time. I can't fucking book. I'm just picturing the puppets now <laughs> from NSYNC. What is it? It's gonna, no, it's, pop, dirty pop, damn, damn. It's not, it's gonna be me. No, that's, it's that. no, it's um, Dirty Pop. You didn't think you can't stop. You know, your life just Dirty Pop. This must be. Now, I don't want to try and classify the type of thing that we do. I think that's yes. it. Okay, so I have to tell yeah. you what happened to me last night. I'm dying to know. So, Jamila and I, my friend that gives notes, dear readers, um, also she likes to give an notes on chef. everything. Also, she wants to start a podcast called Here, Let Me Ruin That For You, um, which I love the premise We're already of. promoting it. It hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> yeah, cross promotion. Anyway, she and I were celebrating twenty our 20-year anniversary of friendship. Oh, so we decided to so go out to sweet. dinner to celebrate. And we both love food, so we'd been sending menus back and forth to different restaurants. She sends me a menu that I look at for a new tapas place in the West Village that had just been written about in uh, The New Yorker. 
And I was like, this looks great. This menu looks really fun. It's really seafood heavy, which I like. Let's do it. Can we get in? It's a Friday. Mm-hmm. She's like, um, you know, they, they're full online, but they said you can call. I'm going to call in. She gets back to me and says, I spoke to them. Not only did I speak to them, the guy that picked up the phone was the chef and owner. And he was like, I'm the chef and owner. You can definitely come at 830 for two. Handed the phone over to somebody to mark down the rest. Great. So. We put the kids to bed. I go meet her. We hop in the car. We drive. We find a fucking parking spot right in front. on a Friday night in the West Village. It's not easy, but it does happen. We got stuck in the tunnel. There was an accident. I mean, oh. it was a thing. We still make it on time to this reservation. We walk up, and it's a tiny, tiny place um, with one table inside next to where he cooks and three tables outside. And it's full when we walk up, but I can also see, like, two of the tables are finishing outside. We stand outside, and I'm like, are we supposed to go in? It's one of those COVID moments where you're like, do we go in? Do we stand on the street? Do they come out? How's the hostess thing work? We put on our masks and start to go in, and a woman kind of rushes the front and pushes us out a little, like... No, 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 no. Like, let me talk to you out here. She starts... um, So I say to her, hi, we have an 830 reservation. She looks really sad... And just starts speaking in Spanish very quickly to me. And I do not speak Spanish, but I understand it well enough to know that what she is saying to me is, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to seat you. We're not going to. We're done for the night. We're not doing dinner. And I'm super confused, obviously. Right. So I'm trying That is a confusing situation. There is a language barrier. So I just keep saying to her, no, you don't understand. I'm not like asking if there's room tonight, we have a reservation. Yeah. It's at 8.30. And she just keeps saying, no, lo siento. I can kind of understand, but I don't. So she's like, hang on. She goes and gets the other server. She's fluent in English, but she has an accent. Right. And I say that because I don't know if what I'm about to tell you will be colored by that. She says to me, no, no. He's done for the night. And I say, but you understand we have an 830 reservation. We spoke to him on the phone. And she goes, oh, you're the ones that called? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, and she's like, and he said yes. And we're like, yes. She goes, yes, but now he says no. And I go, but we drove from Brooklyn. We're here. We have, this is how reservations work. And she goes, well, I can ask him to talk to you. If you want to take the risk. And that's where I'm like, if I want to take the risk, what? So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I I'll do. take the risk. I, I, I think we do want to talk to him. And she goes, and she looks really worried. And she says, yeah, I mean, he really will not want to talk to you, but I can ask him to come out and talk to you and we can take the risk if you want. We can take the risk, but. And I was like, why does she is keep it her risk? That's like, is that's she... what I'm confused by. But either way, it really felt like I was speaking to someone that was being abused. <gasps> Do you understand yes. what I'm saying? Yes. Like I'm like, but which is not unheard of in this business that you have these chefs that are uh, doing drugs and abusing their staff and acting like king of the mountain and making strange decisions. Totally. So I was like, I can see this whole like storyline laying out before me. But I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> talk to him. I'll take so the risk. So she goes in. 
and he looks mean, you know? Yeah. And she's talking to him and he's looking over the door at us. And then he walks over to a different table and starts the table that's inside and is like kissing everyone on the cheek and being really sweet. You get the feeling that these are regulars, something, and he just, he doesn't come outside and we're waiting and we're waiting and no one comes back out to speak to us, but it's glass and very small. So we're just watching all of them and they can see us and it's, no one comes back to talk to us and we stand on the street like assholes for 10 minutes and we don't know what to do. So we finally leave and we're now 845 West Village Friday night. No way we can get in anywhere going up to places and awkwardly trying to get any kind of dinner. Oh. It We're starving it was a nightmare. We ended up going to Pearl's, which is totally cute. And I've been there before and they have lobster rolls. So what's not to like, what was so funny about it is we first went to a restaurant where they brought us inside and sat us at a table where the two people on either side of me, their shoulders were touching mine. And I was like, not ready, not ready for this level of intimacy with other people indoors. And I was like, we got to go. So we left. We get seated at Pearl's outside and we're like, breathe the sigh of relief. We're, it's now 930. We're starving. We sit down. They hand us our menus. Our menus drip, drip, drip. We look up. We're under an air conditioning unit. And for our entire dinner, we're just both getting dripped on. But I was like, you can't we, move again. We, like, just we just need to, to eat. Like, we just have to pretend it's raining and move on with our lives. What did they say? I forget who was the comedian who said, I think it was Steve Martin, where it's like, when you find someone you love, you should go to the hardest part of the world to travel to. I think it was Steve Martin who said, mm. I don't know, but it was like, you should go to the most challenging place to travel to and from. And if you make it through that, then you're make ready for marriage. And I think what a wonderful little moment of 20 years of friendship. If you can make it through a hellscape of finding a restaurant in New York City at on, a 9, Friday night. on a Friday night at 9.30. Well, I tell you, it was supposed the relationship to be this, is, is destined for success. It was supposed to be this special night, and it was just so funny because we got so... Uh, uh, we don't take big issue with you not seating us. Maybe you ran out of food. Maybe you ran out of energy. Whatever the case may be. You should have walked outside and had a conversation with us. It's the rudeness I can't abide. Yeah. That's really the issue. Yeah, totally. Uh, Us standing on the street after we drove there looking like assholes for 10 minutes and no one will talk to us to tell us what's going on. That was really weird. Yeah. Anyway, she wrote me this thing and said, I'm going to send this to him. Will you send it from your email? (laughs) (laughs) That's wild how connected our stories were. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Patreon subscribers. We are in love with you. You make us happy. Um, Who we got? Hey, hey, Shay. Hey, 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 Shay. Hey, 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 Shay. Hey, 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 Shay. Hey, 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 Shay. Thank you for joining Patreon. All right. Next up is Justina. Justina, Justina, you're not just a Justina, you're also a Patreon. Ooh, pretty. Oh, by the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly, Greenfly, I'm Quinlan Posner, and I'm Carrie Uppama, and we're going to tell you two stories today, two motherfucking stories. My story. We already did tell two stories, we're going to tell two additional stories that don't involve 
This Turn is about a us and a chef. epic episode. Four stories. <laughs> Four stories. Two Pick of to them. live in a house to find <laughs> out what happens when two people of them start are not. being polite and start getting real. Two of them are not. They're both true. They're not dark or creepy, but they were I true. All two true are. stories. You don't think mine's creepy? You don't think that it's creepy that that waitress said, "Do I want to take the risk?" I thought. Do you think mine's creepy because He's I had gonna... a guy? Mine is true dark. I gave They're a guy creepy. a restaurant. I, I gave the guy a, my You're, address. You gave a stranger your address. I was so stupid. You live alone. Don't do that again. By you the way, you know what know I? You, can I tell you know what I did actually? Wait, this is good. Hmm. I know that was really dangerous, but I think what's important is when I went down to see him, I brought with me my alarm system. <laughs> Great. And I, it's called Birdie Alarm System, and it's fucking incredible. You like it has a pin in it, and you, if you are ever in danger, you like release it, and it makes a loud noise, and it has lights. It sounds really fucking loud, and so usually that deters people, right? I love that. You use the code TDC ten. You get ten percent. You get off. fucking ten percent off of your own personal alarm system. You know how they say they're cute too, and you get to pick colors. I don't know about you, but I was looking and I was like, do I want coral or do I want lime or hear Jump me out? Blue. Do I want both? Because I'm extra into it in a way where if someone is making me nervous, I'll pull one. And then if that proves to be correct and I want double the alarm and double the flashing lights, which is what they do, that's when I would pull number two. We and talked I'd throw about one at them and I'd keep the other. Smart. Go forth and birdie on. So. I am going to tell you a story. This story I got from hoaxes.org and Wikipedia. And it's the story of the cotton leaf fairies. The cotton leaf fairies? Cotton leaf. It's a place. Okay. So let's, let's go way back in time. <gasps> Jump into this time machine with Done. me. Buckle in. It's July 1917. I didn't know this, but that is the time of World War one. It's actually when the U.S. joined World War One. Don't flex that at me. We, World War One started in 1914. The U.S. started fighting in 1917, and the war ended in 1919. You know Boom. that none of that landed and stayed in my brain, Boom. and my brain dates worked it for me. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but dates honestly worked for me. Opposite stay for me. <laughs> Francis Griffith is 10 years old and moves from South Africa to this English home with her aunt and her uncle, the Wrights. Um, her dad's fighting the war, so she's going to stay with them. She's got a cousin, though, that's 13. Fun. Elsie, her cousin, is 13, and they play together in this little village, Cottonley. There's a stream they go to. Also, I read it was called a beck. Have you ever heard that? I mean, Is that a British thing? Probably. Go play by the beck. What accent did I Have just do? Have a nice do? little play by the beck. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and Elsie's mom's like, hey, quit playing by the damn beck because you guys keep coming home uh, all wet. And they're like, look, we love playing At by the beck. the beck because... You keep coming home all wet. Here's the thing. <laughs> Ooh. We like going there, mom, because we see fairies there. Um, cute, fine. Yeah, I'd go. Obviously. I'd fucking go back. Um, but th- like they're like, no, mom. For we real. see fairies. We see fairies. Can we borrow dad's camera to prove it to you? And the dad's like, LOL. Sure, you guys, you can borrow my camera. Don't drop it in the damn back. Here's my camera, <laughs> and here's how to use it. And they leave. They come back like an hour later, and they're like, we dropped it in the back. Boom. 
we dropped it in the back. No. <laughs> Sucker. That's totally me that's as a kid. kid. My dad's like, don't do this. And I'm like, I promise, I promise. I come back. I did it. Yeah, that's my vibe. No, no. They came back and they were like, you're going to want to check those picks out once you get them developed. It's the early 1900s. That'll take a while. But check this shit out, Mr. Wright. And Elsie's dad's like, uh, okay. So he develops the film that night. I don't know if they've got like a dark room on the premise. I don't, I don't I really understand like how have... cameras work those Back then. I also feel like I don't understand how negatives work anyway, but I will say I I think that if you had a camera back then, you probably had your own developing studio, is my assumption, because I think it was an expensive thing, because I don't think everyone had a camera. No, 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 no. It was fancy to have a camera. Yeah, I bet, Um, like, it became a hobby where you had your own, you were able to develop your own photos. Makes sense. I mean, they have a stream, they have a dark room, they fancy. So he develops the film... And there's fairies in the pictures. But he's also, like, nonplussed by it. He's definitely like, my kids are playing a prank on me. Classic. The girls, though, don't, like, drop it. Like, they're they're like, no, Dad, there's fucking fairies. There's fairies. We're going to take some more pictures of the fairies. And a month later, they take one. It's a picture of Elsie, like, sitting, chilling with a gnome. I'm going to let you digest <laughs> What the fuck? So the dad's like, okay... But he still just, like, puts the pictures away. But Elsie's mom... Because they didn't have Photoshop in 1917. I want to be very clear. They, they did don't. not have Photoshop. They did not have that. No one had Adobe Acrobat. <laughs> so Elsie's mom, though, is like... Polly's her name. She's, like, looking at the photos. And she's like, I don't know. It's weird, but I feel like it could be real. And a couple of years go by, and in 1919, she attends a lecture on spiritualism, and she goes up to the speaker of the lecture and is like, hey, great lecture. Can I show you something? I brought these pictures with me. Can you take a look? And she shows the speaker the pictures, and the speaker's like, these are really interesting. I want to bring these to my friend Edward Gardner who is the leader of the theosophical movement. One of the sort of like fundamental goals or missions of that movement is to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers that are latent in people. So, you know, like how we talk about you use this percent of your brain. Right, 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 right. I don't know. It's like that kind of thing where it's like there's so much more we can do. We can probably fly. We just haven't figured it out. That kind of vibe. Um, So Edward looks at the pictures and is like, Mm, okay, I don't know. I feel like I want to send this to actually a photographer. So he calls his friend, Harold Snelling, and Harold looks at them and is like, these photos, I'm a photographer, and I'm telling you that these are not faked. These are single exposure, open air photographs. There's movement that I can kind of see in the fairy figures. There's no trace of any weird studio effects involving models or paper or anything. So he labels them real. His labeling them real, this guy Snelling, gives it means just like, that the photos start to get all this interest, okay? Right. And so they start fucking being shown everywhere and the British community's like, have you seen those fucking fairies? That's crazy. They fall into the hands of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <gasps> you mean you know of Sherlock Holmes fame? 
Elementary, my dear Gary. He's also really into spiritualism and is like, these photos knock my socks off. He's totally into them. So it's July of now 1920, and he's about to do a lecture in Australia. And he asks that guy, Edward Gardner, the theosophical guy, um, will you do me a favor? Will you go meet this family? Yeah. And he's like, not like the family of fairies, the family with the girls. Go meet them. Francis is no longer living with Elsie's family, but Elsie's still there with her parents. And so they go meet Elsie's dad. And he's like, when Elsie showed me these pictures, it I was sure they were fake. It didn't ever cross my mind that they were real. Right. Um, but one thing I did do when she showed them to me is I searched her room for any sort of props or yeah. any evidence that they had been faked. And Gardner's like, okay, well, did you find anything when you did that? And he's like, no, I didn't. And Gardner's like, here's the thing. We need to get more photos. Like, if this is real, we need more photos. It's the only way we're going to sort of show the doubters. So I'm going to talk to the girls. I brought cameras. Not only did he bring cameras, but what he did was he brought secretly marked photographic plates so imagine, like, what he's testing also is that they're not, like, giving him different film back. So he's, like, I'm marking, almost like you watermark the negative totally. is the idea. And you give it to them and then they take a picture. Totally. And he wants to make sure that watermark's there that to be, like, actually... you used this blank film that I Absolutely. gave you to take these photos. And that's part of proving to me that it's not been faked. That makes sense. Okay. So... Frances had been asked to stay with the Wrights again during that summer so that she and Elsie can play together and also so that they can get their fairy friends to come out. So Gardner actually wrote about this trip in this book called Fairies, A Book of Real Fairies. (laughs) It's really creative. I love the focus groups for that. I really love the focus group that came up with that title. What do you think about fairies? The book about real fairies. (laughs) I like it. he says to them, you should go to the Glen on fine days, on like good weather days or something, which obviously he says that's the days that you guys were able to get the photos to begin with. And the girls call it ticing the fairies. Like enticing? Yes. But they call it ticing them. It's, I think it's a word they made up. They were like, we have a way of attracting the fairies and we call it ticing them. He says to them, I knew it was essential they should feel free and unhampered and have no burden of responsibility. If nothing came of it all, I told them they were not to mind a bit. So he's trying to be like, no pressure. Francis and Elsie are like, listen, there's no fucking way these fairies are going to show themselves if other people are watching, so you need to beat it. And so... Everyone leaves them alone, and when they're gone, they get more pictures. The first picture, Francis is, like, in profile, and there's a fairy with wings really close to her nose. And in the second picture, there's a fairy, like, tiptoeing on a branch and offering a flower to Elsie. Two days after that, they take the last picture of the fairies, making... This will be the fifth picture in total of these fairies that's ever taken... And the fairies are all, like, hanging out on, like, a branch in the sun. And are they watermarked? 
They get the plates back. They give them to Gardner. And he calls Doyle and is like, dude, I totally got images. And Doyle writes back, my heart was gladdened when out here in far Australia, I had your note and the three wonderful pictures, which are confirmatory of our published results. When our fairies are admitted, other psychic phenomena will, f- will find a more ready acceptance. We have had continued messages at seances for some time that a visible sign was coming through. Really interesting, right? Did you, you think, think that was- Arthur Conan Doyle was like... No, but do you think there were a bunch of, like, Anna Paquins? That's what you picture of Faye? Because mm-hmm. she was Faye? Mm-hmm. Was she? Oh, yeah, true that's blood, how that she ended, was a fairy. true blood. But they said Faye always, right? <laughs> Didn't they say that in true blood? So. There, She was like, I'm Faye. I just imagine, like, a bunch of Anna Paquins or Julia Roberts says Tinkerbell and Hook. Completely. I mean, those I are the two. Those are the two, I imagine, just, like, hanging out in 1915. Well, one is technically... First of all, one of the photos is not of a fairy at all, but of a gnome. No, If I'm you were so paying sorry. attention, these pictures end up appearing in the Strand magazine, and Doyle writes this article totally passionately Do explaining you pictures? that this shit is real. One? I will. I will. There's a huge controversy now. Everyone's like, are fairies real? And there's all these skeptics, obviously. And Gardner goes back to Cottonley the next year and brings in a cultist... Jeffrey Hodson, and neither of the girls is saying they're still seeing fairies. There's no more photographs, but Hodson, the guy that he brings, the occultist, is like, I keep seeing fairies all over the place. And he starts writing about his experiences. So Gardner and Doyle are like, okay, okay, you know who we should ask? Let's ask Kodak. Let's ask Kodak to you like basically give the us the film. The film the... giant Kodak? So, Kodak a moments. bunch of companies, technicians look at the pictures after they're blown up huge and they're like, we don't see any signs they're faked. But, and I quote, they wrote, this could not be taken as conclusive evidence that they were authentic photographs of fairies. <laughs> so in short, Kodak's like, look, we're just not down to like certify. We can't tell you. Yeah, we can't confirm. Like Kodak was like, they look real. We don't want to say we believe in fairies. So Gardner's <laughs> like... Gardner's like, okay, I think that they won't say it. They're being tainted by their own presumption is what he says. Because he's like, basically, they are saying, we know in our mind fairies aren't real. So even though we see this real photograph, we're not willing to say it's real. But just because we don't believe in fairies. Not because we're saying what we actually see as evidenced. Um, Another uh, photographic company, Ilford, looks at it and they're like, oh. I think these are fake. Okay. So they end up showing them then. It's just so crazy how everyone's weighing in on this. The next guy to weigh in is physicist Sir Oliver Lodge. And he's like, Jesus Christ. These are fake. And the reason I know they're fake is these fairies look Parisian in their dress. And what like why would these what why would the fairies be Parisian basically like they're yeah, they're, living the in, they're living sense, in a yeah. back in in in, in England. England why are they Parisian it yeah, doesn't it makes track. no sense are That's there fairy the one airplanes mm-hmm. are they on holiday it's very and did confusing. they go to fairy fashion week in Paris you know I mean we don't know it's possible 
then they start looking into weird things like that the girls aren't totally looking exactly at the fairies. They're like looking past them. And they're like, well, the girls reply to that. Well, you know, we were around these fairies like all the time. We're just not looking directly at them because we don't really care that they're there. We're very comfortable. One fairy doesn't have wings. That's disturbing to some. We all know fairies have wings. Um... (laughs) This is so cuckoo banana pants. <laughs> it's so crazy. Basically, a ton of people end up believing it. And I think they're believing it because the brain behind Sherlock Holmes believes in it. Okay? Also, the war took a lot out of everybody. And they are like, we need to believe in fairies right now. You know? Like, please. Like, something. Let me fucking have this. Tell me something good. Bow, bow. That okay. is, yeah. I mean, listen, after literally, like, your whole young population of men is are decimated, yeah, like, let's give us let's some fairies. Let's have a fairy. Let's have some fairies. So, let's flash forward to pretty fucking recently, 1978, 60 years later, James Randi, this guy, looks at these photos and is like, you know what these look like? They look like photos they look like pictures of fairies in this kids book called princess mary's gift book which was published in 1915 right before the girls took these photographs they look a lot a lot like those fairies (laughs) and in 1983 the two girls are like there's an article in a magazine called the explained and the girls are like yeah yeah those are fake (laughs) (laughs) but wait this is crazy they say we both saw fairies, but those pictures are fake. We copied illustrations, like, by hand, looking at that book. We drew these dancing girls, made them fairies, and we put wings on them. Then we cut them out with, like, cardboard, and we used hat pins to make them stand up on their own. And then we threw everything in the fucking back when we were done to get rid of our evidence, they drowned their fairies in the back. <laughs> like, lying well, girls, I can forgive, but littering, how dare. This is incredible, though, because what's funny is that you have all these men who are like, there's no explanation. And I guarantee you, at the time, there were all these women that were like, oh, this looks very similar to the books. That, like, to me, and it's probably meant to be like, women, you're hysterical. Like, I love that men got duped because they didn't realize that there probably was literature for women that they hadn't read yet. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, th- this will crack you up. So the gnome, you can see the hat pin kind of, but um, <laughs> Doyle. Okay, so the hat pin is like in the center of the creature. And Doyle was like, I saw that dot, but I thought that it was a belly button. And I thought that fairies give birth just like humans. So it made sense that the gnome would have like a belly button. I don't know. It's a lot, dude. I really it, like that. <laughs> he was alive when they he found out that this was... Oh, I don't know, actually. I don't know okay. when he died. But that's... He saw that. He had seen that. He and, recognized that there was... Okay. Yeah. Wait, that's incredible. Can you send me the photos? I will. In a 1985 interview on TV, Elsie is like, me and Francis got too embarrassed to say anything because after we fooled Sir Arthur Arthur Conan Conan Doyle, Doyle. we were like, what are we going to do? The quote was, two village kids and a brilliant man like Conan Doyle. Well, we could only keep quiet. I never even thought of it as being a fraud. It was just Elsie and I having a bit of fun. And I can't understand to this day why they were taken in. They wanted to be taken in. Totally. That's what she says. 
Um, so I guess the most modern news and why I'm nervous to post any pictures is that there's been like a lot of back and forth of like who owns the rights to the photographs. And in oh, 2018, right. the f- the photographs were auctioned in Gloucestershire, and they sold for a bunch like Leicestershire, Gloucestershire, 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 Gloucestershire. Look, I'm not going to say it. The the known one sold for like 5,400 pounds, and Alice and the Fairies sold for 15,000 pounds. I mean, they're raking in. I mean, not, but that's not that much for for this. They're f- fake fucking photos. But it's a bunch of photos these no, little kids. No, made. no, no, no. They're fake photos, but the story around them is real. So that's true. I can understand if this is something that convinced Sir Conan Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. If these photos could convince Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, then of course the, there's photos that he saw that like created all this hubbub. Mm-hmm. To me, they're actually priced way too low. Frankly, Ugh. do you know what I mean? Like yeah, fifty four hundred yeah, yeah. for a gnome that literally got the whole world, world talking, talking about gnomes. Yeah, it's pretty. And odd. it's a fake, but like you know. And then uh, uh, yeah. a couple years ago, they put the uh, the photographs and the camera in the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, England. So cool. you can go check them out there. Cool, cool. Um, I love that. I, maybe I'll post them. You know what? Maybe I'll post them on our Patreon where it's safe, and I know the whole world's safe. not watching. Shane, the whole world's not, not watching. Um, but there are five photos of these girls that <gasps> they made with them and their fairies. I'm really excited to see these photos. Um, and that is the story of the cotton leaf fairies. I love that story. Fun, Can you right? show? I want you to send me the photos right now. Oh, right now. Okay. Yeah, because I want to have my reaction. You're desperate. Oh yeah, you want to film? That's that's some really good media. Um, you're gonna be like, wait, they thought this was real. <laughs> Oh, I texted it to Jordan. <laughs> I really Jordan's can't. like, what the you know what? I actually fun? genuinely can't wait to hear what she has to say. Let me try to find the gnome okay. one. Oh, the gnome Stop. one's my favorite. The wait. gnome one's the best one. Stop. Wait, you want the you want the gnome one? Wait, these are incredible. Wait, stop. The gnome is going to be your favorite. I'm sorry. Though. This one is so good. There are so <laughs> many fairies. Wait, how about the gnome, though? Wait, hold on. I'm getting to it. Wait a minute. The gnome... <laughs> <laughs> the gnome's so good, the right? The gnome is so he's, like, sneaky. dancing up to her. He's like, I'm a sneaky gnome. But you know, like, this is some fucking genuine-ass photography, and the kids look so beauty and like gorgeous, like they did like a little fashion show. Yeah, it's nice. And they look so fake. People thought this was real. It's you know what though? That is so fucking true. <laughs> the gnome. The, oh, the yeah, gnome yeah. is like, <laughs> like tiptoeing a little <laughs> bit. It's very Fantasia or something. I mean, that's brilliant that these... Like, they shouldn't have believed them, but the, because of the quality of the photos are so bad. And the... Wait, but the girls drew these. Good yeah, work, yeah. girls. They did, a good, they did a nice job, I think. But yes, good I can see the art. Parisian little short haircuts. Yep. And now, a word from our sponsors. Dear readers, you guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this new fiction podcast. Forget your socks. This one's gonna knock all your clothes off. How I Died is a fiction podcast, and it's about this forensic pathologist who speaks to the dead to solve murders. 
So it's got ghosts, it's got serial killers, everything we love. And plus, if I had that skill, I'd be bragging about it at every party I went to. But unfortunately for John, this pathologist, he has to hide this gift from his boss and from the town sheriff. So his status is complicated. Anyway, this show has two seasons out right now and over a million downloads. I think that why it's so popular, what people love about it, is that you can try to solve the mystery as the show unravels it. Dear readers, I want you to go listen to this podcast now. You won't regret it. How I Died is the name of the podcast, and it is available wherever you do your listening. Dear readers, we've said it once. We'll say say it before. before. City City of Ghosts is out. It's out. It released. And now they're going to keep releasing them because that's what podcasts podcasts do. do. Yeah, they just just stop at one to two. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) (laughs) We've got enough. We're leaving. Um, They are a supernatural, neo-noir mystery podcast set in New York City. We think you're going to love this mystery podcast. I'm sorry. We know you're going to love this mystery podcast. We would bet our life on it. We would bet our life on it? That's super aggressive. It was really aggressive. Here's the thing. We all know you love true crime. How about fictional crime told in a succinct, organized way? Unlike this podcast. It's unlike yet like us. You know what? It's got all our highest highs and none of our lowest lows. (laughs) It's all roses and no thorn. Go listen to City of Ghosts. In fact, here's a little sneak, a peek. I believe they're called the trailer. <laughs> Do you hear me? It's 1999, New York City. Where am I? Who are you? Oh, shut up! Bridget Lundy Payne stars in a new supernatural neo noir audio drama. The voices, they're back. City of Ghosts. I understand this is beyond your usual scope. So two deaths and an attempted third. Must mean we're on to something big. Men like them have fortresses built around them. What good does sticking your neck out do, especially in this city? Still, just be careful. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Do be well, Eleanor. Hey, are you interested in creating your own podcast or do you know anyone who's interested in creating their own podcast or do you have your own podcast? If so, please let us know. But also you should totally sign up for PodMove Daily. It is this free, wonderful newsletter that comes out every day and it's for you if you're a podcaster if you're in the podcasting industry or, or even you wanna, if you're like i know there was if you're a podcast curious where i was yeah exactly exactly <laughs> if you're pod curious this is the newsletter for you because i know that when carrie and i were getting started we i started and still know nothing we knew nothing and we still have managed to retain that nothing. level of information but what i loved about getting the pod move daily newsletter is that it made me feel connected to the podcasting community. And it was a really good resource for asking questions that I felt like I was embarrassed to ask or felt dumb. And it kind of brought me into the community in a way where I was like, you know what, I think we can do this. And surprise, surprise, we're still here. We're still here. We haven't left. And if we haven't turned you off to starting your own podcast, you should sign up for PodMove newsletter, oh, which totally. you can go to at podcastmovement.com slash TDC, which is our own personal landing page for you to sign up. Yeah. Incredible. So sign up for PodMove. Sign up today. What are you waiting for? 
Holy shit. Okay, I'm about to do a real left turn. Let's do it. I got this story. Well, we got this story from... It was one of the stories you told me that we had gotten pitched. It was either Facebook, Insta, Patreon, Ireland. That's <laughs> what you wrote that we got from. So I'm not sure who sent this to us, but it's okay. the Scissor Sister story. Oh, cool. We don't know who sent this to us. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> definitely wrote to me on Facebook, I want to say. I was like, do a story of the Scissor Sisters. Yeah. And so and I was like, I think that's a band. And they were like. All right, calm it down. It is a band Google and it's it. great. I love the band, the Scissor Sisters. If you haven't taken a listen, it's so good. That's not what this story's about. Let's have a kiki. Let's have a kiki. Motherfuckers. I'm going to let you have it. It's so good. I did a show once that was really scarring in many ways, but all of the music in the show was Scissor Sisters and it was a blast. Um, I got this information from Wikipedia. Crimeandinvestigation.co.uk. Irish Mirror. Independent, Murderpedia, Evoke, and The Sun. So this is about the Mulhall family. So the Mulhall family is from South Dublin. Yes, I'd like to try to do my Irish accent, but I'm not going to do it. I'll because give you a dollar. I'll give you a breakfast burrito. You've already given me a breakfast burrito. I know. I should have withheld. They have three sisters. Three brothers. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Good, perfect. That was enough. Uh, Three brothers. Um, The mother, Kathleen, was from a traveling community, which is a group of people that travel, you guessed it. Their father, John, um, not a good dude, okay? Like, really fucking abusive. Bad guy. Bad guy, this John guy. Their marriage falls apart. Not super surprising. Um, And in 2002, Kathleen starts dating this guy, Farah Swale Noor. Really good name. But not a good guy. Yeah, I got that feeling. Yeah. Um, There's kind of a pattern here where this family surrounds themselves with not great people. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's in his late 30s. He came to Ireland and he was trying to get, you know, his passport. He was trying to get, you know, immigration status. And so he was like, "Uh, I'm from Somali. I came after the Somali Civil War. So I'm here. Give me, you know, refugee. Give me status. Give me, you know, citizenship. And it founds out that he lied. He was from Kenya and he was just like not a good dude. He got deported. And then he appealed and was granted citizenship because he had fathered some kids in Ireland. So the reason he was able to become a citizen of Ireland is because he fathered kids He had a bunch of convictions for intoxication, for assault, for abuse. He raped a disabled 16-year-old girl who gave birth to a son of his. Two other kids, two other women. He had two other children by two other women. um, And both women were like, he raped me. He was violent. It was Mm -hmm. not consensual sex. Um, So... Although he was convicted three times of charges of disorder, assault, and sexual assault, he never served jail time. The only silver lining was, wow, the criminal justice system is fucked against women everywhere. (laughs) Fun. I guess it's not a silver lining as much as to say, wow, we understand that plight here in the U.S. as well. I guess it's not um, unique. Not unique New York, you feel? Um, Mm -hmm. So he moves into the Mulhall home with Kathleen. John, Kathleen's ex-husband, he takes the kids and he moves out. Now, when Kathleen and Nora left to go to Cork, then John moves back into the house. So, like, the family life, the family sort of dynamics in this is just 
fraught with disaster. It's not a good situation. So the two apparently move back into Dublin. They don't move back into the family home, but he's a, he does the same thing. He's abusive to Kathleen. Um, and then this story is going to focus on two of John and Kathleen's daughters. Mm-hmm. One is Linda. She's unemployed. She's a school dropout. She has four kids. Something that isn't involved in this story, but is worth of a note. She's, she dated this guy, Wayne, who was also bad news. He beat her kids and eventually the kids are taken into social services. He gets seven years in prison, but he had every bad story in the book. Like he beat his own family members. He was eventually charged and found guilty on murder, multiple murders. So there's something to be said about like what she experienced as the daughter of Kathleen with these men mm-hmm. and her decisions and the men she kept in her life, this Linda. She also had addiction issues. Um, she suffered from alcohol abuse and heroin addiction. She had some convictions of theft. Her sister, Charlotte, she also had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. She had charges of damage and stuff, and she was also known to have experience as a sex worker. This is a fraught family. This is a family that clearly has struggled. Mm-hmm. It's March 20th, 2005. It's St. Patty's Day weekend in Ireland. Let's party. So Linda, who is 30 at the time, Charlotte is 21. Nor is about 40. I don't know how long their mother is because like a classy lady, she doesn't reveal her age. But they're all hanging out in Dublin. They buy a bottle of vodka and some Coca-Cola and they just fucking go ham. They're out. They're getting drunk on the streets. They're partying. Charlotte and her mom find some ecstasy. I think it's Charlotte. Find some ecstasy. Well, they like go and buy some. Well, I guess. That's lucky. Kathleen and one of her (laughs) daughters. Yeah. Kathleen and one of her daughters go buy some ecstasy because Mm -hmm. that's a great idea. They're already partying. They already have their bottle of vodka. Like, let's, what's a little ecstasy going to do? So they all go back to. I can tell you. It's going to release some dopamine. (laughs) It's going to release a lot (laughs) of problematic behavior. So Charlotte, Linda, and. Kathleen are all willingly take some MDMA, some ecstasy. They wanted everyone to be involved in the party vibes, so they apparently crushed some up and put it in Nora's drink. So everyone. So they're roofing. They're basically roofing people. him, but basically they're like, we don't want him to harsh our mellow. Like we want you to join us in the buzz. We don't want you to. I got a recommendation, which is don't drug just, anyone. Like, tell if you don't want people harshing your buzz there's nothing harsher to anyone's buzz than suddenly being on a drug that they Mm -hmm. didn't know they took yeah so no matter the drug no matter the fucking drug so they're all fucking getting high on ecstasy and nor as we know is like not a good guy doesn't treat women with respect at all so they're sitting on the couch and he's next to linda kathleen's daughter keep in mind kathleen is his girlfriend he starts touching linda and, like, whispering suggestive things in her ear in front of his girlfriend to her daughter. Not fucking cool behavior. So, like, he's touching her. She's like, get off of me, and he won't let go. And his girlfriend, Kathleen, Linda's mother, is like, get the fuck off of her. So they start having some warring words they start screaming it becomes a full-out verbal fight then kathleen says just kill him for me 
So Charlotte, the younger of the two, takes a box cutter and she stabs him in the throat. Whoa. Then Linda picks up a hammer and she hits him over the head multiple times. Got it. So they're all like, enough. Kathleen is watching. Right. Nora stabbed 27 times. There could have been more, but because they weren't able to examine the full body, they know he was stabbed at least 27 times with a box cutter. Linda and Charlotte then drag his body to the bathroom where their idea is they go, we got to dismember this guy. How old are they? 30 and 21. Got it. So they cut off his head. They cut off his limbs. They cut off his penis. Unnecessary, but I think that probably came from a place of anger. Mm-hmm. I think there was a psychologist that was like, it has some, I guess they just wanted power control. And I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty uh, clear. I don't know if it was a stretch to say how, that. Yeah, how much did you get paid to figure yeah. that out? <laughs> how much schooling did you go through to be like, yeah, when they cut off his head and penis, they wanted him to stop talking and to stop being a sexual being. Like, yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Really remarkable uh, <laughs> testing there. Yeah. Really remarkable. Incredible take. work, Nancy Drew. Incredible work. So they used towels to stop the flow of the blood. Then they put all of the limbs into plastic bags and sports bags, and they take a couple trips and they throw his body parts into the Royal Canal, except his head. They decided, let's keep the head. Let's keep the head. For what? To bury somewhere else so that no one could identify his body. Okay. So instead, after they throw his body parts into the Royal Canal, they take his head in a bag... They hop on the bus with a head in a bag. They go Bold to move. a local mall. Okay. They grab some breakfast rolls. No. Well, they were hungry. Yeah. And then they go take a little walk in a park to look for a perfect spot. Charlotte takes a knife and digs a hole where they drop the head in. Seems like it'd be hard to dig a hole with a knife. I don't think it's smart, but you know what? She, it's her, what they had. She was tired. She was exhausted. They were dismembering a body, keep in mind. So then they decide to, then Kathleen, then Kathleen takes the hammer and the knives and she throws it in a nearby pond. A couple days later, Linda is like, I feel like we buried that head in the park and I don't know if that was a good idea. Okay. I'm going to go back and dig it up. No, no, no. So she goes back and digs it up. Never go back. And as of then, we don't know where she put it. Oh, never found. Never found. Hmm. What she says later, which, spoiler alert, I'll tell you, what she did, actually, we do know what she did. I just was going to say it, but what's the point? What she did was she buried, she unburied, she un... <laughs> dug it up. Thank you. <laughs> unburied. unburied it. I don't know. I'm tired. She backward dug buried up, it. She backward buried it. She took it <laughs> off of it. Anyway, she took the head out of the hole. She smashed it with a hammer further. She put it into other black bags, and she put the pieces of his head in different garbage bins around the park. So the head is never seen again. It is destroyed is and basically in landfills. Dispersed. It is dispersed like you wouldn't fucking believe. Dispersed. So 10 days later in the canal, someone is like hanging out, looking at the beautiful water, and they notice a leg with a sock on it just floating. 
So they're like, wow, that's really not chill. The police go and pick it up. They find seven bags in seven parts. Of seven, seven, they find seven, seven parts of seven brothers. Ba- seven bags for seven brothers. <laughs> and they don't have a head. They're not able to ID him. The only way, the only way Nor was ID'd was because of his shirt on his torso is still on. And someone recognized the shirt and was like, that guy. I actually saw him with these women. Mm-hmm. And so the police are like, what women? And they're like, this family. They never recovered his penis or his head, as I said before. The police are like, oh, this is a ritual killing. Because we love an occult. We love a moment where we can be like, ooh, juicy, fun. It's a ritual killing. They took his penis. They took his head. Ah. Mm-hmm. So they reach out. They, they go arrest the women, the Mulhall women. And all of them were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Ev. No, no, no. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. They pulled a shaggy. It wasn't me. Then a couple weeks later, Linda was like, ah, I don't like how this is making me feel. So she goes to the police and she confesses to everything. Linda does. Got it. They then, with her confession, they find bloodstains at the scene of the crime that matches Nora's DNA. So Linda and Charlotte are both charged with murder and plead not guilty. Kathleen fucking beats it and goes disappears and the police can't find her in 2005 when linda and charlotte are charged their biological father john another piece of shit guy he ends up hanging himself in the park yeesh he was not involved with any of this but he hung himself maybe the guilt i don't know why yeah but right after his daughters were charged he was out I mean, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to emotionally process. I don't, I'm not related to anyone, and I feel like it's a lot to process. It's a really, it's a lot to process. It's a pretty fucking gruesome crime, so much so that the judge at the time was like, this is the most grotesque killing that has occurred in my professional lifetime. Good. They were both found guilty. Charlotte was found guilty of murder because she was one that stabbed him with the box cutter, and she was sentenced to a mandatory life sentence. Whoa. Okay. Linda was found guilty of manslaughter. She was one that hit him with the head over a ham. She was the one that hit him with the hammer on the head. Mm-hmm. And the jury responded to her being provoked because he had put his arm around her and was trying to like was whispering sexual things. The jury was like, "Oh, she was provoked, so that's why it was manslaughter, not murder." What I think helped in her testimony or in her case was they had Nora's ex-girlfriends come and talked about how awful of a person and how he, he was, was and how them. he was raping them and how he was violent. And they had all these convictions of that. So I think they gave her a little bit more lenient sentence. So she got 15 years in jail yeah. for this. I mean, look, it's complicated. Uh, this The planet is better off probably without this person on it. Um, it's a really complicated... And also the fact that they were all on drugs and, like... It's very weird they were on drugs, though. Because, I mean, the drug they were on does not... Uh, I feel like there was... Listen, if there was a lot of trauma in that family's past. Mm-hmm. That it feels a little bit like... Nor... And his violent tendencies made them all fucking switch and go fucking crazy mm-hmm. on him and kill him so aggressively, like violently. Yeah. That I, yeah, yeah, 
But he, uh, yeah, it's a really conflicting story in that way. I mean, we'd have liked to seen a happier ending where they all signed up for like a Groupon for kickboxing classes and got some energy out that <laughs> or way. Or like, you know, and maybe he ended on up in jail for some, yeah. raping his girlfriends instead of yeah. all chopped up, missing head, missing dick. Exactly. You know, I think this could have gone better for everybody. This could have gone better for definitely everyone. Um, Kathleen, they ended up finding her in 2008. So two years after her daughters were sentenced, she had ran, she had run to England. She returned and she was charged with two counts of false information and withholding information. She also pled guilty to cleaning the crime scene to conceal evidence, mm-hmm. to, to conceal evidence and was sentenced to five years in prison, which I'll be honest with you. I don't like that. It feels like she told her daughters to kill. Like I, I... it sits bad with you that they're imprisoned while she's free. Yeah. Okay. I don't love that. I also think that, like, Charlotte Charlotte really doesn't like that Linda got less time than her because Charlotte has a mandatory life sentence. And it feels like Charlotte, and I think the reason why Charlotte got a life sentence is she was feels like the one that was least involved. Like, he was trying to put the moves on Linda and Kathleen was his girlfriend and mm-hmm. Charlotte was the youngest. And it was one of those things where I, Charlotte is the one that killed him in a way where it was like she felt like she had the least connection to the crime, which is also why she probably got the most life... She got the life sentence, in a way, mm-hmm. which feels... Mm-hmm. It feels hard, right? I I do think there's a... Like, they deserve to go to jail for killing someone like that, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other ways to handle things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's 21. She was the youngest, and I feel like... Ugh. I mean, it, it does sound like... I, I'm trying to picture in the room, and her sister's getting uh, groped by him, her mother's screaming, do something, do something. It's She does something, and now everyone She has up. the... Yeah. So yeah. everybody's now out of jail it's except called, for her. Yep. Yeah. Um, in prison, Linda ended up slashing her wrists, so she was sent to the psych ward. So these these women became known in the media as the Scissor Sisters, which is arguably unfair because no scissors were seemingly used. Yeah, what do you think that comes from? It's from them cutting him up. Oh, okay, got it. So they're known as the Scissor Sisters and obvious Scissor, scissor obviously Sisters. Obviously, you don't use and a obviously they pair hate of scissors that to cut a body up. Yeah, pro tip, but also like they became a media shitstorm in got a lot it. of ways. Okay. And in two thousand eight. Charlotte, there was a photo that was released to the media that the press got a hold of, of Charlotte in jail, holding uh, Linda and Charlotte while they were in jail. They became really involved in the prison salon and spent a lot of time there. That's something that they really liked to do. That's great. Maybe they can market Cut their hair. scissor scissors as like a cute salon. Well, Charlotte's still in jail. She has a mandatory life sentence. Right. Linda has since been released. She served 12 of the 15 years um, she is estranged from her mother. She is not, you know, which seems to make sense to me. Um, she also apparently fell in love with a prison ward, a prison guard while she was in prison, mm-hmm. who has since left his post at the prison. I don't know if they're together, but sure. And that's the story of the Scissor Sisters. Well, if a story about dismembering a body and another story about a gnome... <laughs> Didn't make you want to buy a t-shirt. I don't know what will. <laughs> Check out Tee Public, y'all. We got some uh, awesome options there for you. Um, Tee Public. Gotta support the merch. Gotta also say, 
And I'm really serious when I tell you this. There's only two spots left on in Patreon? our Patreon. Yeah, there's just two <gasps> right, spots quick, left. Quick, so join while um, you can. You know, join while you can, and soon it will be a thing of the past. Um, we love you guys. We admire you guys. Mm. We treasure you guys. Don't know you, <laughs> but we feel like we do. I knew I loved you, you before I met you. you. I have been waiting in my dreams. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I think that song, nothing, nothing fits more our podcast than that one. So true. Uh, I don't know actually because I t- clearly don't know the lyrics. But do you not know if that I song? Had to guess. No. Oh, I can't wait to play it for you. I mean, I do know it's the song. really a creeped out song. I knew I loved you before I met you. Okay. I have been waiting all my life, which it feels like a little bit of a stalker anthem. Which, let's be honest, most romantic songs, like if it's sung by a hot guy, it's totally chill, and you're like, oh my god, he loved you before he knew you. But if it was by a creeper, you would sing a different tune. So I creep. Yeah, you're gonna have to um, you're gonna have to edit that uh, sister sister stream sounds smarter. <laughs> no problem. Uh-huh.